1: pretending to be insurance. Slow
2: the testing
1: down. Remove him from office.
2: No justice, no peace. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The
1: Betches SUP
2: Podcast. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey.
3: Hello and welcome to the Betches Sub Podcast. I'm Sammy Fishbein and the Betches Sub Podcast is your daily rundown of all the crazy shit that's happening in the news explained by today your one funniest friend, which is me. And today I am joined by a very special guest. You've seen her on our live, Samantha Vinograd. Samantha was an advisor for the National Security Council in the Obama administration and is now an analyst for CNN. Welcome, Sam. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back. I know we did a live la- um, a few months ago already, and people really uh, loved it. So I'm so glad to have you back. It's great to be here. I'm just sorry that we're not looking at each other through Instagram Live right now. I know. Um, we have so much news to talk about. Um, I know when we first scheduled this podcast, we were going to focus on the um, the poisoning of Alexei Navalny, but there are just too many things that have dropped in the past. <laughs> none of like, them good. <laughs> yeah. None of them good. Bad news. Um, so first, I think we should talk about the bombshell story that's happening right now, which is uh, Bob Woodward's book and the tapes um, that are coming out along with it. Um, I mean, I think by now we've all heard the recordings of Trump admitting that um, he knew that the virus in February, that the virus was airborne, more deadly than the flu. And he even knew that the mortality rate was 5%. Um, so how, what's your reaction to that?
0: My reaction is that the president's uh, prioritization of his own perceived personal needs has clearly cost lives. I mean, I I worked in the White House for several years, and I can tell you that when it came to any threats to Americans, if we had intelligence or information about an impending threat, we used any time that we had to issue, in the first instance, accurate statements about the impending threat to the American public and to take action. This president, according to Bob Woodward's tapes, Knew the threat that COVID nineteen posed, went out publicly and just lied about it. Kept valuable information from the public. Downplayed the threat in a way that led people to do careless things like not wear masks, go to mass gatherings. He lied about it, and then equally as important, Sammy, he didn't take actions to try to defend against it. I mean, you think that to back to February seventh when this tape was um, recorded. Imagine if President Trump had implemented policy steps like implementing this legislation, the Defense Production Act to get more PPE ready, issuing um, guidance on wearing masks and, ma- ma- and uh, mass gatherings. He likely tried to downplay the threat because he thought it would maybe calm markets or make him, uh, make him look better in some way it was a political and a personal move. And it's manslaughter. He let people die. Because of his own um, focus on himself rather than on the country. That's the opposite of patriotic and the opposite of presidential.
3: Right. What doesn't, what continues to baffle me is like he says, I don't want to create panic. Never mind how incongruous that is with
0: everything else he says. But even if he did. And I just have to call BS on that one. I mean, I, I worked for two presidents. Comms 101 is certainly to try to not cause panic. But A, he certainly caused panic by lying about this virus and issuing conflicting information from all the scientists, all the experts. But you can you can try to calm the public with accurate information um, that lets them know that there's a coherent plan in place. That excuse is just, and I, don't, I won't spell this out because my mom will probably listen to this, that's just, that's just BS. That's just kind of a CYA move to try to explain away why he did this.
3: But it doesn't even make sense because... Had he even said we're wearing cloth masks, or like in March, that would have significantly decreased the transmission from the get-go, and it would have prevented that first huge flare-up we had in New York and in California, and
0: the, the economy would be better off. No one hired him for for his intelligence, but Sammy, you and I both know or No one voted for him, I should say. You and I both know that he does not play the long game. I agree with you. This is the most ass-backwards logic uh, that I've ever seen, right? Like, he wanted to do something that would maybe get some perceived short-term gain, but long-term, the U.S. economy is suffering, long-term, more people have died, long-term, it is geopolitical risk. But tell me one time that he's been able to think more than one tweet ahead. That's not anything that he ever does on any issue. No long-term planning, no perception of long-term costs. It's all about, for this president, what feels right to him, based on his gut or voices in his head, I don't know, what feels right to him in the moment.
3: Well, I'm wondering if you you had a similar reaction that I did when hearing this tape. And it was not only that this is horrific, obviously we all reacted, we all had that reaction, but did you... Noticed that he seemed much more like cogent in those tapes. Like he had a grasp on reality in a way that publicly when he speaks, it doesn't mirror that. And that I found to be so like additionally cruel. Like you know the facts and you pretend like you don't because uh, I don't know. It all just sort of like contributes to the act in some way. But that to me was like, if people don't catch the difference, like I don't know, I also noticed it in a uh, when that tape with Michael Cohen where he asked him to, someone to get him a Diet Coke. Like, <laughs> remember that one? He um, oh, he sounds much more
0: cogent in person. Sometimes I think it depends. Uh, I think that this 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 president is capable of sounding relatively cogent at certain times, but honestly, I don't even think that that matters. I mean, he has apparently he was able to grasp some facts about this threat, facts presented by his national security advisor, facts presented allegedly by um, intelligence briefings in his presidential daily briefing. He does have moments where he appears able to grasp those facts, his moments when he can present them um, in a coherent, cogent way. But Sammy, that lasts a hot second, and then it dissipates into just flat-out nonsense. We've heard nonsense from this president on COVID-19 for months, We've heard nonsense from this president on the uh, assassination attempts against uh, Alexei Navalny, and we've heard nonsense from this president on election interference. So even if he can briefly grasp information, he either chooses to ignore it or chooses to spout nonsense again for political reasons.
3: Right. I guess what I'm suggesting is that he's creating this nonsense on purpose as a smokescreen is is kind of like
0: the vibe So you're you're saying yeah. that he yeah, that he's smarter than he presents publicly. I don't know what I'm no, focused th- on, on.
3: I'm not saying he's smarter. I'm saying he he like plays up his ignorance and his like lack of grasp on reality when actually he has a grasp on the things he needs to have a grasp on.
0: I think so, but then we also know from other books that have been written um, and other kind of declass or other leaked conversations that you know he doesn't know which countries have that ne- uh, capital oh. uh, excuse me nuclear weapons and he doesn't know where the capitals of countries are. So his relative level of uh, cogency or coherence, yep. I think, depends de- depends greatly on you know who's ever leaking what in in that moment.
3: Oh, I'm not suggesting he has any knowledge. I'm suggesting he knows how to like cover. He knows like what he
0: needs to do to, to fake it. I I don't. I don't really know, Sammy. I think that he. It just there's so many conflicting data points on this one. Um, Fair. So, according to the Woodward tape, in that yes, he was able to grasp briefly what COVID (laughs) nineteen represented. I. I personally think he probably never forgot what COVID-19 represented. He just chose to downplay it for personal and political reasons. But then there are other data points about his just lack of grasp on any, any version of reality or history or whatever. That's true. Okay. I want to talk about
3: one more thing, uh, one more element of the Woodward book, even though there's so much. Um, and that is Dan Coates statement um, that he was almost sure that Putin had something on Trump um, and that this was just <laughs> a feeling he couldn't
0: shake. I mean, can you speak wow. to that
3: like that? The
0: yeah, <laughs> let's just explain to our listeners what that means. That means, according to the Director of National Intelligence, the leading intelligence official in our country, the DNI thought that Trump was compromised. The DNI thought that our attacker, Russia, who's actively attacking us in this elections, has has what we call complicit or. Um, something that they can use against President Trump to manipulate him. The leading intelligence official in our country thought that Trump could be a knowing or unknowing Russian asset because of this compromise that, that Putin may have on him. That is a wow uh, moment if I ever heard one. And, and it, it, it begs. The question in my mind of why Dan Coats kept on working for, for President Trump, uh, despite knowing that, despite knowing that Donald Trump, the President of the United States, was a counterintelligence risk because, again, he could be manipulated by Putin. Um, but, you know, for any of us that have been following the President's behavior vis-a-vis Russia, it doesn't surprise any of us. I mean, whether it's, you know, assassination attempts against uh, Russian opposition figures like Alexei Navalny. Or it's election interference, this president just parrots Putin's propaganda on any issue. So, you know, last week he was asked about this, um, this poisoning of Alexei Navalny, and he said, well, we don't have proof, and, you know, the Germans haven't shown us any evidence, which is what the Kremlin is saying. It's in direct contradiction to what his own officials are saying. And then on election interference, uh, we all remember when he said that he believed Putin over the U.S. intelligence community about election attacks. And then fast forward to the present day. I mean, today we have um, the U.S. government announcing sanctions against Kremlin-linked individuals for interfering in the 2020 election. We haven't heard a peep from POTUS on that. And if asked about it, I hope he is asked about it, he'll probably say that Putin denies it. This president has not yet condemned Russian interference in the U.S. election. U.S. agencies and departments uh, have and have taken punitive measures he hasn't. So there is nothing – there is no way to really credibly explain the, beha- the president's posture toward Putin. So I'm, I'm kind of with Dan Coates on this. I just wish that he had spoken up sooner and um, maybe done something about it.
3: Right. So I guess my next question is like what is the recourse in a situation like this because <laughs> our – yeah, like I guess what, what can be done <laughs> that is not um, – Like, short of we vote Trump out, but, you know, then Putin's not going anywhere. Like,
0: we still have to Mm -hmm. deal with him. Yeah. Well, I'll take your second question first is, for sure, Putin's not going anywhere. It is clear that he is creative. It is clear that the Russians are adaptive. um, And the Russians will likely continue to try to interfere in U.S. elections for a long time. But there's a game changer in this election, and that's the fact that this president and his minions are in many ways aiding and abetting Russian attacks in our elections. I mean, one of the biggest risks right now is Russian disinformation attacks, so inaccurate information that the Russians are pushing about Vice President Biden. Um, So today, for example, the U.S. government sanctioned this Ukrainian-backed lawmaker, Andrei Derkash, for, you know, really um, actively participating in a Russian influence campaign. Well, guess who met with Andrei Derkash? Rudy Giuliani, guess guess who's been accused of taking information from this Kremlin, Russian agent, Republican lawmakers. So that's piece number one. Piece number two is the president personally continues to contribute content that is being amplified by Russian trolls, mail-in voting, for example. The president continues to push conspiracy theories, theories about it. The Department of Homeland Security warned in an intelligence bulletin that Russian trolls and bots are amplifying conspiracy theories about mail in voting. DHS warned law enforcement professionals that Russian trolls and Russian influence operations are amplifying content, inaccurate content about Biden's declining mental health. Yet Trump and the Trump campaign continue to push this content knowing that it helps Russia and concurrently Sammy the, um, the Trump team is really censoring intelligence um, uh, about the real threats to our elections. Um, we have a whistleblower complaint that came out um, that broke publicly yesterday as well, that the acting ho- Homeland Security secretary tried to get the author of an intelligence bulletin to change their analysis to match more with Trump's public rhetoric and to downplay the threat from Russia and amplify the threat from China in their intelligence briefings. I mean, we have a full-on assault on um, the intelligence about election security concurrent to the Trump team amplifying content that helps Russia. So in future elections, if we get Trump out of office, we'll have a president, I think, that tries to stop these attacks rather than contribute to them.
1: In
3: terms of um, just the overall damage that's been done, like what you just described to the DHS, um, the fact that uh, the president is parroting Russian talk talking points, how much damage has been done like internally to the intelligence community? And like is that recoverable? And how quickly can that recover?
0: Well, it's going to definitely take some time. And I know that this is something um, that the Biden team is very focused on. It can be done, but when we think about damage and kind of the long term repair, uh, you know, we have, we have seen, I think, uh, people leave the intelligence community because of the assault on intelligence. Recruiting good people to the intelligence community under this administration was made harder by Trump's assault on, on intelligence, so recruitment and retention has certainly been strained. Whomever uh, occupies the Oval Office after President Trump will undoubtedly have to do an audit of what was censored, what was downplayed, um, what was politically finessed based upon the really catastrophic allegations um, on those fronts against this administration. Um, and so that will take some time. I have to tell you, the DHS whistleblower complaint yesterday really threw me for a loop. We We have seen, as I mentioned, in effort to censor intelligence from the public and from certain intelligence customers, so for example, the DNI canceled oral briefings on election security to Congress, um, and the DNI has really not provided a lot of public information about election security. For example, the DNI has not given their public worldwide threat uh, briefing, which they do every year. So, you know, we've seen the censorship of finished intelligence products from various customers, but this allegation, again, that political officials were trying to get the content of intelligence briefings changed is really historic in a bad way. And that makes me really concerned about whether and what other threats were, I don't know, finessed to match uh, Trump's political rhetoric from an intelligence perspective. So we will need a full-on audit of everything um, that happened negatively under this administration um, as part of an effort to repair the intelligence community. And then we're going to need a director of national intelligence who comes out publicly and says, I realize we're working to assess what happened, we're working to assess the risks, and I will pledge to you that we will get back to the DNI, the, the core ethics of the intelligence community, which rest on speaking truth to power and providing um, intelligence free from political considerations.
3: Yeah, that is so, so critical. Um, I do want to pivot to kind of our, what we were originally going to speak about, um, which is the poisoning <laughs> of Alexei Navalny. Um, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about who he is, what the significance of um, his poisoning is, and the kind of what you predict will happen next? Like, Can he mm-hmm. still be an opposition
0: leader? Sure. So Alexei Navalny is a leading opposition figure, um, anti-corruption activist and champion in Russia um, with a very um, important uh, media presence as well. Uh, He has been harassed by the Kremlin for years because of his activities, again, um, to fight corruption and to try to fight for democracy within Russia. He was on a flight uh, a few weeks ago and uh, drank a cup of tea before he got on board, fell into a coma, almost died. Um, He originally was in a Russian hospital. The Russian hospital ran some tests, said he wasn't poisoned by chemical weapons. Um, A lot of us don't think that you should trust those results. He was then airlifted to Germany where German uh, military doctors, military scientists conducted classified toxicology tests. Those results uh, revealed that a substance known as Novichok was used against Navalny. Novichok was uh, or is a chemical weapon that was first developed uh, by the USSR. Uh, Russia pledged to get rid of all chemical weapons. Um, It did not, clearly. It is a tightly controlled substance um, and was added to the list of banned chemical weapons under international law a few years ago. But again, Russia Russia should not have any of this stuff. We first got public indications that Russia still had it when a guy named Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia were poisoned in the UK um, two years ago. Um, Sergei Skripal and Yulia Skripal were poisoned by Novichok. They almost died. Uh, Skripal, excuse me, was a double agent. He was working for Russia, but really working for others as well and was exfiltrated to the UK. So, uh, sensibly... Um, the Kremlin was trying to kill Skripal for betraying, betraying them. Um, after the Skripal poisoning, um, the international community, including the United States, um, uh, found that the Russian government was responsible, the Russian uh, GRU, their intelligence services. And by the way, that never would have happened without, you know, some sort of high level sign off um, from Putin. They, they launched a chemical weapons attack in a, a British town. Against a former, uh, against a former double agent. That's the sort of thing that the that Putin would sign off on. But you know, we kicked out Russian diplomats, we sanctioned um, various people, we issued statements of condemnation. That happened, um, and we also just you know f- these sanctions were done in two stages. So you know, we 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 punished Russia. That's where to the present day. It certainly looks like uh, Novichok was used again. I would expect uh, that. We will hear um, about more Russian diplomats being expelled, Russian diplomatic properties perhaps being forced to close here in the United States, more sanctions, which by the way will do nothing. Um, I think the biggest question for me is what European countries do as well. We should certainly take strong action. Um, Just based on the trading relationships that European countries have, the sanctions that they could implement could be more onerous on the Russian economy. There's also a pipeline um, between Germany and Russia that the chancellor of Germany has said that she, she is reviewing sanctions um, against Russian activities on that, which could be quite impactful. But, you know, the obvious question is, is Trump going to continue to give Putin a free pass on this? Probably. So even if we have U S action, Trump will kind of wave this off and say, ah, Putin says he didn't do it. Everyone's jumping to conclusions while his officials, his administration will take steps to punish the Russians.
3: Right. So I think what. So overall, would you say that we're we're looking at like a weakened West, aka like Europe? U.S. is obviously mm-hmm. like kind of now on Russia's team. And then, can you just expl- because I think we're hearing a lot about um, you know Trump wants. China, Trump wants people to think China's it's China's fault, and that they're the ones interfering in the election, and like they're the ones that need to be feared. Um, obviously, that conflicts with the intelligence community's assessment that Russia um, is the uh, country that's going to be having the is already having the biggest impact on our election. So, can you explain how that you know what we're kind of looking at in terms of the bigger picture alignment and how that's playing out in the intelligence community?
0: Sure. So on the just on your comment, this view that we're on Russia's team, I think it depends. There's a there's a bifurcation in the U.S. government right now. Right. We no, I know. Have, yes, I just mean, Trump. I'm just yeah, Trump. But that's the thing. I mean, we have people, and like I said, on the Navalny stuff, on the election interference stuff, we have people that are working to stop this stuff. The Commander in Chief is just working at cross you know cross purposes with his own team. But on your intelligence question. Um, China does present a threat to our elections. The problem is, I often say that when you group Russia and China together, we're talking apples and oranges from a threat perspective. According to what we know, Russia is engaged in multi-pronged, covert efforts to influence our election, in addition to trying to launch cyber attacks. Um, And on the cyber attacks front, Microsoft uh, apparently warned um, SDK Nicaragua, a firm working um, with multiple clients, including the Biden campaign, that r- Russian actors are trying to hack them. So Russia rep- is actively engaged in efforts to try to attack our elections and to denigrate Joe Biden. China, according to the intelligence community, um, prefers that Trump not win re-election, is really relying on public measures to make that clear, and is this is a key point, is still weighing more aggressive action. So it's not like they've decided to launch um, really aggressive action to attack our elections. Totally different ballpark threat-wise. The problem is that the public statements from the intelligence community just grouped all this stuff together and didn't differentiate the threat levels, which I have never seen an intelligence uh, report uh, assessment that that's sloppily written. I don't think it was an accident. I think there was probably political pressure on the author's, Um, to satisfy Trump and to make it look like China's on par with Russia and this nonsense from the national security advisor and Bill Barr and others saying that China is the biggest threat just isn't backed up by intelligence and to me it really looks like the Trump national security team has been co-opted by the Trump campaign because they're trying to paint China as the biggest threat because China you know is working against Trump, according to the intelligence community, not a coincidence. Um, and because China is the political pinata that Trump likes to, you know, take swipes out um, to deflect blame from COVID-19. So the best thing that could happen would be a public briefing from the intelligence community in front of Congress to go through these threats so that members of Congress could kind of ask, hey, who's the biggest threat here? What's going on? Um but that would, of course, require, uh, you know, Trump campaign officials agreeing to show up in front of Congress um, and uh, the Senate intelligence community led by Marco Rubio demanding a public briefing. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, his state, he, he's, he is the worst. I should think of a more uh, sophisticated way of saying that. But, you know, when um, when this bipartisan Senate Intelligence Committee report came out on um election interference in the 2016 campaign which he signed off on right he tweeted about kind of the i think it was about um the fbi angle of it, and this report was in two parts he made no mention of the entire section on russian efforts to work with some successful the trump campaign it's like he hadn't read the thing he he appears to be stumping for trump um, and for uh, other members of the Trump family, while chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. So I'm with you. He's not he's not going to do a damn thing. And he's he is really just using his intelligence oversight platform for all the wrong purposes. Um,
3: just wondering your sort of like opinion, your take on this. I mean, this past, I would say, like, week of news stories, and it's not even over, it's still Thursday midday, um, between, like, the losers and the suckers um, story, (laughs) which is just, like, so cruel and disgusting, um, between that and between- unbelievable,
0: unfortunately. Oh, totally. Um,
3: Like, yeah, it would be shocking if he had said something else, to be honest. Um, But- yeah, between that story and what's now coming out about, um, you know, the tapes about of him admitting about coronavirus, do you think any of this will move the needle?
0: I'm just gonna say I hope so. I think perhaps the confluence of events right now is notable. Um, yeah, the kind of economic stress that he's inflicted on this country because of his failure to prepare for COVID-19, despite, as we discussed, being aware of the risks that COVID posed. Um, that's a self-inflicted wound on this country by the president, 190,000 dead. Um, and again, people people now hear that he was aware of what happened. Do I, So do I think it will move the needle? I really hope so. Um, I know that, you know, as... Uh, someone who supports Biden, like we're assuming that it has been continuing to fight just as hard. Um, but I really, I think it's all of these bad things happening at once. And this whole issue with the military, I mean, my heart breaks for anybody who's lost a loved one overseas or who served ser- served this country to hear the president speak that way. And again, like it's just totally believable the way that he's insulted John McCain, the way that he, he insults anybody who he actually really wants to be like. I mean, that's what he does, right? It's like he's the most insecure person in the world. And when he's yeah. jealous of what someone else has accomplished, he insults him. So I do think it will move the needle because I think we're just the real Trump. All the awful things are coming out in his own words, um, whether on tape or otherwise. So I hope so, and I think so.
3: Yeah, I follow a lot of uh, like Trump psychologists on Twitter. Um oh, you, no. you know how there's like a, <laughs> there's like Trump psychology feed, which I love. No, like,
0: wait, wait, I wish you hadn't told me this. It's gonna be a rabbit hole for me later.
3: Oh, it's good. I'll like send you all the good accounts too. Well, you <laughs> and, <do. laughs> yeah. I mean, we've had like someone on this podcast, Dr. Bandy Lee, who um she was like an early crier about his mental illness or his mental health, whatever. Um, but yeah, I but apparently but Ultimately, the conclusion on Trump psychology Twitter is that um, this the tapes coming out was like a massive narcissistic injury for him, which is why he's reacting like
0: psycho today. So, but
2: also, watching, I, mean,
0: saying, I was I was talking about talking about this with my dad earlier. I mean, imagine the narcissism slash psycho- psychosis of oh, a yeah. man that thinks that by spending an eighteen interviews talking to a journalist, he's going to win him over while the content of his interviews is disgusting, right? And he's going to win somebody over with a poster of him <laughs> and Kim Jong-un. I mean, imagine how effed up that is. Like a poster of him with a murdering dictator is all it takes to get on a journalist's good side. Like you can buy good press coverage. It's literally insane and sickening.
3: I mean, first of all, I don't wonder how he got that idea when it su- it worked for, like, decades of his career and, like, the media, like, kissed his ass. But it, he actually said to Bob Woodward, like, I get along with all the tough guys. Like, you let me know what that's about or something. I'm paraphrasing, which I thought yeah. to be, like, weirdly self-aware. Um, again, I was, like, shocked by some of the things, these conversations he had with Bob Woodward. It is, trust me, it, I feel, like, a great deal of, like, weird contentment at the idea that like Trump was so mad about Bob Woodward's
0: first book that he thought that this would go well. What an idiot. Yeah. But <laughs> it's just this idea. I mean, and I think it's just kind of an, psych was my worst grade. I actually had to drop psych like, freshman year because I wasn't doing well. So hear me out with that caveat. But, you know, it's what works on him. The reason he gets along with quote unquote tough guys like Kim Jong-un and Putin and Erdogan and Hamid Bin Salman is because they just flattered him. That's all it takes yeah. to get Trump in a good place. And Trump, you know, it's reverse engineering. He's like, if I just, you know, spend time with some Bob Woodward, who's going to feel so special, that the president of the United States wants to talk to him, that'll buy me favor. It's kind of reverse logic. And it's just, it's insane. And I just, this picture of him with the Kim Jong-un poster on the oval desk just makes my stomach turn. I know. It's like...
3: <laughs> right he's you're right that is actually like so true like he thinks because like in his narrow mind that this is like how you get people to like you by like
0: yeah <laughs> i'm sure i'm surprised he didn't call bob woodward like, your excellency re- yeah <laughs> exactly but that's the thing it's like have you i don't know if you read the letters from um kim jong-un to trump but it's all praise it's all flattery wait, but it's the same about, thing with putin
3: what about the letter this came out like a few weeks ago but i was cracking up at this um Now, I mean, it's not funny, but it also is funny where he wrote to Putin about, like, the Miss America or whatever, Miss USA, and then he wrote in Sharpie, the most beautiful women in the world (laughs) on the
0: bottom of the paper. Did you see that? I did not, but the man does love a good superlative, doesn't he?
3: Oh, my God. You have to Google this because, like, I can't – my description of it is not going to – you have to see it
0: to, like, appreciate it. Oh, I'm definitely – yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's all, but it's all like the most, the most fill in the blank. Oh. Call Trump that and he's going to be, you know, eating from your hand.
3: Yeah. No, we, we said it. We used to say in the beginning of this podcast that Trump's like goal is to be like the number one man in the world. Like he just wants to be like the number <laughs> one person, you know, like that's all he has. Like that's all he wants. But it's not like possible. Dr. Evil. Not, yeah, yeah. Like he is Dr. Evil. Like when he asked about how to put like, alligators in the moat to, to build around the wall. That's like some Dr. Evil shit.
0: Uh, it's Dr. Evil. And I'm sorry, but like throwing your like fascist dictator with a modern, you know, 2020, uh, Twitter twist. And that's where we are. Uh, and with like actual yeah. power. Yeah. And he does, I mean, he does have actual power. Um, and that's, that's the truth. You know, as I tweeted a few days ago, like this man has access to the nuclear codes. Yeah. Um, and this man could have presented, just to you know circle back to where we started, this man could have presented arguably tens of thou- thousands of American deaths. He had the power to take steps to defend our country against COVID-19. And he has the power to defend our country against attacks on our elections, not to mention, you know, hosts of other threats. He just chooses not to. Um, he chooses not to use his power and his platform to save us, And he chooses to use his platform to hurt
3: us. Because he's, I mean, I don't want to, my view of him is that he's basically just like the head of a crime syndicate and it involves like some international players and some American players. And, uh, you know, a lot of, I, I, I can only assume that the Republican party is in somehow in bed with these people through dirty money or through other, you know, methods of, other reasons that they can't get out of this and it's like it's not normal it's not like a normal situation it really feels like i know this has been said that like putin actually installed someone to lead our country
0: (laughs) so even if he didn't well he did install him by uh you know in the sense that he actively supported his 2016 campaign and if you ever can't sleep at night Read that um, Senate Intelligence Committee report that lays out multiple times the members of the Trump campaign kind of knowingly amplified uh, Russian um, influence operations met with Russian officials, et cetera. So Putin did help install him in the White House for sure.
3: Right. I wonder like at what at what point like Putin tries to actually take credit or I feel that he probably
0: benefits more from not directly taking credit. I think Putin, you know, it's interesting with the Russians, the Russians choose not to cover their tracks in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. It's like they're hiding in plain sight. And so I, Putin, I mean, Putin's been taking the victory lap for four years every time Trump goes out and, you know, pivots away from criticizing Russia or says he believes Putin. But when it comes to cyber attacks, when it comes to election interference, the Russians are, not or even this Novichok poisoning that we were talking about with Navalny. They could have yeah. used another chemical weapon. They could have killed them in some other way. I I read a New York Times article. I forget who wrote this, but that said, nobody is Russia's calling card. They're not trying that hard to stay covert on this stuff. So well, they're taking credit for it, and you know, just by making it that obvious that they were responsible.
3: Well, that's actually why I um. What makes me say that it reminds me more of a crime family? It's like leaving the horse's head in your bed is like is what <laughs> yes, is like yes. Yeah. Like that that it doesn't remind it doesn't remind me of like sort like, you know, obviously country you're you're the national security expert. Like countries go to war and they you know and they do things to each other via intelligence and there's like sort there's like rules of engagement that people generally respect, which is I assume like why you have a distinction between that and war crimes. Um and they don't like get on that pattern. They're not like playing that game.
0: So I just think the, that Putin doesn't, the Russians don't feel like they need to hide what they're doing because they're not really scared of the consequences. That's number one. And two, it's the fear of knowing that they're up to this stuff that's also impactful. So, this notion that, so for example, you know, Russia has ostensibly hacked into various places, or they did, according to the intelligence community, they kind of um, hacked into election infrastructure, poked around, but didn't cripple anything. The metaphors used that it's like a robber, a burglar coming up to your house, figuring out like how to open the door, but not quite coming in and stealing anything. They want us to know that they're there. They want us to know that they have the power to turn things off, whether it's power grids or election machines or what have you. Um, just to invoke fear in us and to make us that worried. Um, and so I think that's the other piece of it, it's the intimidation aspect of it. But Putin, Putin's feeling pretty confident right now, and so I would expect more of this, unless uh, we have concerted action um, by Western European countries, I think, which will come at economic cost to them, and unless we have a president that isn't willing to just kind of get played by Putin on everything. I mean, again, like Trump just Trump thinks when someone's nice to him that they have a good relationship. He doesn't realize that people are nice to him because they think he's an idiot.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's completely the assessment, like of of the whole administration. Just my my last question: Do you think so? You're saying you know Russia obviously wants to be intimidating. Do you think that their power is actually as strong as like they want you to think it
0: is? I think that their how it depends on what um threat we're describing when it comes to russian election attacks yes i do think it is um on other issues i think that they overplay their military capabilities but on disinformation attacks and cyber stuff i do think it's as as bad as i think it is but on a i'll end on a positive note (laughs) I think that the United States has the ability to do better in terms of defending ourselves, um, by, um, uh, by instituting potentially more of our own offensive capabilities against Russia. And again, think, Tammy, just, I mean, just think about it. If Donald Trump and the GOP stopped providing and or amplifying content that helps Russia, how different would the world look right now? If you just took right. that away, it, it, right. I mean, if you had a president who came out and said, "You know, these efforts to denigrate Joe Biden are awful. I'm putting together a task force to review how we can work better with tech companies to stop this." I mean, imagine how different our election season would be, right? Right. It I would mean, be that's a whole like new
3: world. Th- that's what I mean. That's like normal rules of engagement. Where, like, I mean, I guess the only conclusion you can really come to is that, like, you know, uh, the president is committing treason and so honestly are members of the republican party because how can you when you're what else is it called when the leaders or the president or anyone is not taking the side of the country
0: he's not just not taking the side of the country and this is he's actively helping the other side i mean that's right. if he's just keeping quiet right and just like sitting this one out we'd say why isn't he doing more to help us He's not just saying this one out. That would be bad enough. He's actively helping our, our attacker here. Yeah. It is jaw-dropping. So if you just remove that piece of it, right? I mean, the president is making the jobs of U.S. intelligence uh, professionals, U.S. law enforcement professionals harder. He's amplifying disinformation. He's a source of disinformation campaigns. If you remove that just uh on its face, I think that would make it easier to defend ourselves um and 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 just kind of tread water a little bit. That would be just a step in the right direction,
3: yeah, I mean, I don't know what it will take for some of the people who support him, whether they're lawmakers or just regular uh citizens, to snap out of it. but I hope that it happens um, <laughs> that's all
0: I can really say. <laughs> You and me both. And I will not I will not let this podcast end without wishing you a huge mazel tub on your marriage. So we talked about you. a lot of bad news. I want to flag some good news. Huge, huge, huge congratulations. Thank
3: you. I am like feeling, I feel like weirdly accomplished that we were able to do this in the <laughs> pandemic and like, and that we made it through this, like, or I mean not through the pandemic, but through this like very crazy time to be ha- getting married. So I'm, ha- I'm happy that it's, you know, it's it beautiful.
0: So Thank you. Uh, it's, it's, we need to celebrate the good news right now because we just spent 45 minutes going through it. There's a lot of bad news. so definitely have to celebrate the good news and whenever it's safe, we will have a glass of something delicious to toast your marriage.
3: Yes. Yes. Seriously. <laughs> Um. Thank you so much, Samantha
0: or Sam. I don't know what I should call you because I know you go by both. You can call. What you- I act, and the, the truth is, my whole family calls me Sammy. So this may be the only podcast with two Sammys on it. That's uh, too funny. So you know, my family
1: calls
0: too. me <laughs> Sam. Oh my! Yeah, yeah, I I let go of Sammy um as a as a grown up, but you know, every everybody that knows me well calls me that. Yeah,
3: I I can't let go of Sammy. Um it could be because like my co-founders are my friends from childhood. So it's just not I can't do it. Oh, so, I love <laughs> that. Yeah. But I love thank it. you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Um we would love to have you back. Um your commentary is so enlightening. And I feel like I learn so much from you every time we speak. <laughs> All right. Until the return of democracy, I'm Sammy Fishpine and this has been the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches SUP Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman.
2: Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore SUP on
0: Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SUP at Betches.com. Betches.